Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. If you're visiting with us, uh, welcome to uh, back to our Wednesday night Bible study here at, uh, at River of Life. Um, we are going through a study in uh, the All Saints ministry. Um, I've I done something i never done before. I changed the name of it right in the middle of it. And if you ask me what is the All Saints ministry, it's where we believe that everybody counts. Every saint matters. Every, uh, every saint is a, is a joint. Every saint is to be equipped. Every saint is to be working properly so that the body builds itself up in uh, love. Now tonight we come to the seventh uh, lesson in our series. And tonight we're going to be looking at the, get, at the gift of shepherds or the gift of, of, of shepherding. And as before, uh, the relevant verses are still verses 11 and 12. It says that he, Christ, gave the shepherds uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, I want to, uh, I'll begin tonight with the, with the word as we've done for the last few. The Greek, uh, the word in Greek here is poimen, and it's translated in the ESV shepherds, and that's exactly what it is. There's no, it's a, just, it, it's, it's meant shepherd 5,000 years ago, it meant shepherd 2,000 years ago, and it means shepherd uh, today, a shepherd is just a person who who feeds, nurtures, guides, protects a a flock. Um, it could be a flock of sheep or a flock of goats. But for tonight's lesson, we're going to specifically look at a shepherd who uh, who guards over or watches over a uh, flock of sheep. Now, before I get very far tonight, I need to deal uh, with a word here, and the word I need to deal with is pastor. Okay, And the reason I need to deal with this word is because depending on what translation you use, now I use the ESV, and the ESV translates the Greek word poimen as shepherd, and that's exactly what it is. Uh, but if you use the uh, New King James, if you use the NIV, if you use the NLT or the NASB or some other translation, uh, you'll probably notice that yours says he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so you may wonder, well, why is my translation different from his? Where did the word pastor uh, come from? Well, you got to go all the way back to 400 AD. Uh, if you remember our, our short series we did a few weeks ago in the history of the Bible, in 400 AD, a guy by the name of Jerome translated the Greek into Latin. And uh, they came up with the, what's called the Latin Vulgate or the Latin Bible. Now, in Greek, that word is poimen, and in Latin, it is pastores, and it just meant shepherd. Now, what you have to remember is that Bible was the Bible for a thousand years. So basically, from 400 A.D. to 1400 A.D., that was the Bible in Latin. Now, don't you think about that for a moment. Think about the King James and what an impact the King James has had on civilization. What an impact the King James has had on our language. What an impact it's had on, on society. And it's only been around just over 400 years. 
the Latin Bible was around for 1,000 years. So it, it had an incredible impact on the church and, and, and the world. Uh, if you go all the way back to 1382... And I like, to, I like to look these up sometimes. The one up top is the Wycliffe Bible. This was the first Bible translated into English. And you'll notice John Wycliffe used the word shepherds. Now, he didn't spell it like we did because they didn't have good spelling back then. Uh, but you can tell it's the word shepherds. And about 150 years later, a guy by the name of William Tyndale uh, translated it uh, another, in his Bible in 1534. And he also translated it as Shepherds. Once again, you can see the spelling's a little different, but we can recognize the uh, the word. Now let's bump up to 1611. The King James Version comes out, and for some reason, and I don't know why. In fact, the other day on the internet, I actually uh, emailed a guy who's got a PhD in biblical studies, asking him this question, and and I hadn't heard back from him. But hopefully, he'll let me know someday, and I'll let you know. But for some reason, the King James translators decided to use the word pastor. So they basically took the Latin word pastores and translated that into pastor as um, in, in English. And that's where we get it. It really comes from the Latin word. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you got the King James, the King James, you, that word poimen occurs 17 times in the New Testament. 16 times the King James translates it as shepherd. Only one time. Does the King James translate it as uh, pastor? And that is in Ephesians 4.11. That's the only place you'll find it in the New Testament. Now, the word pastor and the word shepherd are the same. They're synonymous with one another, okay? But if you and I want to understand the gift of shepherding, let me tell you, I much, 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 much prefer to use the word shepherd instead of pastor. And here's why. Most of us grew up in churches that were kind of built on a certain model. There, every church we went to had a pastor, right? And then under that, that pastor, they might have a board, and uh, they might call it a board of elders or a board of deacons. But, but we're, we're very familiar with the term pastor. It comes with a lot of, of connotations. By the way, that's all tradition. You won't find any of that in the Bible. Uh, that's that's the, the, how we uh, how we use the term pastor and the role of pastor. Uh, you don't find that anywhere in the Bible. That's all just tradition, and we'll talk about that uh, in a few weeks when the when the time comes. But it but the word pastor comes with a lot of uh, connotations and a lot of uh, tradition. But here's the other problem: if you go to the Bible, let's say I'll, you wanted to do a Bible study, and you wanted to find out well, what is what is a pastor. What's the, what's the uh, uh, responsibilities of a pastor? What's the characteristics of a pastor? What should a pastor do? You're going to have a whole lot of trouble finding it in the Bible. And in fact, the King James uses it more than anybody. And the, and the King James only uses the word pastor ten times in the whole Bible. Nine times in the Old Testament, every single one in the book of Jeremiah. I have no idea why. But the King James only uses the word pastor one time in the New Testament. And that's in Ephesians 4.11. The same thing is almost true. The New King James, the NIV, the NLT, you'll only find the, pastor, the word pastor in the Bible one time. And that's in Ephesians 4.11. And so you can see, if you go look up pastor, you're just not going to find very much. In fact, the ESV doesn't use it at all. But let me tell you, put in the word shepherd, and like a whole wealth of information opens up to you. 
The King James uses the word shepherd 91 times, I believe. The other translations all use it over 100 times. And if you add the word sheep to that, man, there's just a wealth of information in the Bible about shepherds and sheep. Very, very little about uh, about pastors. So I much prefer to use that word. Now, why is the word shepherding and, and this idea of shepherding, why is it so much in the Bible? Well, you got to remember the people of the Bible are extremely familiar with shepherding. Um, maybe a few as I used to keep sheep a while back. I, I had a, a, some, some property and I kept some sheep. And so I know a little bit about them, but most people just don't shepherd sheep. We don't know much about them, but those people in the Bible were very familiar with it. And let me tell you, the Bible loves to use common themes to teach us, right? When, when, when scripture tries to get truth across to us, it loves to use things like fishing and farming and money. It loves to use things that everybody's familiar with to create analogies so that we can understand truth. And shepherding is one of those themes. Um, There's a a, a trivia. If you ever do any Bible trivia, one of the Bible trivia questions that will come up is, who was the first shepherd? Anybody know? Genesis 4, you want to guess? Abel, right. Adam knew Eve, his wife, she conceived and bore Cain, and again she bore his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. So right in the first family, we've got a shepherd. You move throughout the Bible, Job is a shepherd, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, when he left Egypt, you remember he uh, became a shepherd for a while. Probably the most famous shepherd in the Bible is King David. Uh, when you turn to the New Testament and the angels come and announce the birth of Christ, who do they announce it to? They announce it to shepherds watching their sheep uh, outside of Bethlehem at night. Jesus, what does he say about himself? I am the good shepherd. So all the way from Genesis, in fact, all the way to Revelation. Revelation chapter 7 says this, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their I. So, I mean, it is, it is just prevalent throughout the Bible. And here's the thing. When you and I study sheep and shepherds, first of all, when we study sheep, we learn a lot about ourselves because the Bible uses sheep as an analogy for, for people. When we study shepherds, we learn a lot about Christ. We learn what a good shepherd is. And when we learn about Christ and what it means to be a good shepherd, then we can also learn about the gift of shepherding. So that's what we're going to do tonight. For the next few minutes, we're going to look at sheep in the Bible. We're going to look at shepherding in the Bible. I'm going to hopefully show you a couple of really cool things that that you maybe didn't know. Um, But from that, we're going to learn about the gift of of shepherding. So let's start with uh, let's start with sheep. Now in sheep, script. uh, I'm sorry, in sheep. In scripture, sheep are basically synonymous with the people of God. Sometimes they will refer to all people. For example, Isaiah 53, where it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Sometimes it refers to just people in general. But but mostly sheep refer to the people of God. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples. Ezekiel 34, 31, God says, you are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God declares the sovereign Lord. John 10, of course, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow 
me. Now, God's people, which is us, by the way, okay? If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, you're, you're a child of God, then you are the sheep of his pasture. Now, let me tell you, I'm going to give you a few things about sheep, and they all kind of relate to us, and none of them are going to be flattering. I'm just going to tell you that right off the bat, okay? So here's a few things about sheep. Number one, sheep are absolutely helpless animals. They are absolutely helpless. In fact, they're one of the few animals that have no defense system whatsoever. Um, If something gets after them, they'll just basically stop or maybe huddle up, but they just wait to get eaten. There's absolutely nothing uh, they can do. In Matthew 9, Matthew says this about Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So when he, when he looks at people, um, he sees them as being just absolutely helpless like sheep. The second thing about sheep is they are followers. And this is something when I kept sheep that I always noticed. Uh, they are notorious for following the leader. In fact, uh, if one of them started walking, the rest of them would just fall in line. They all got their heads down and they just, they, they never look where they're going. They never see, you know, if we keep going this way, that's not going to be good. They don't even look. They've got their head down and they just follow the sheep in front of them. They don't know if he could be going off a cliff, he could be going into a river. They have no clue. They don't care. Listen, in a lot of ways, we're not any different. We follow leaders. We will fall in behind charismatic leaders. We'll fall in behind the latest idea or fad. Or sometimes we just fall in. Look, look at our culture today. Look at the things people are believing. Fifty years ago, you said they're going to believe this. You said, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But they are because they're like sheep. They just, they just get in line and follow. We're, we're prone to be like that. You see this in Mark 15. Y'all remember the story where... where Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, and they're throwing the palm fronds down, shouting, Hosanna in the highest. A week later, they're saying, crucify him. The, 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 the Pharisees and the chief priests had stirred up the people, and they said, give us Barabbas, crucify him. That's how easily we can switch. That's how easily people can be uh, swayed. Um, they are also, not only are they followers, but they are notorious wanderers. They get lost quicker than any other animal. Uh, what you, You'll watch sheep in a pasture, and they'll put their head down. You know, if you ever watch a deer, I got deer coming in my front yard. You know, a deer, they'll eat and look, don't they? They'll eat and look. Boy, they, they, they are just looking. Sheep's not like that. <laughs> Them dumb sheep will put their head down, and they'll walk. And they'll be a mile away, and they ain't even pick their head up. They just, they, they're self-absorbed. They're easily distracted, and that's why they get so easily uh, lost over and over in the Bible, you you hear it say this. And by the way, sheep have no homing instinct at all. You know, you can take a dog twenty miles away; that crazy dog somehow can find its way home. I remember one time my neighbor got a new cow. Come out the next morning, it was gone. It knocked down the fence, went through four yards, crossed the highway, and went home. But a sheep's not like that. They have no homing instinct. Once they get lost, they're lost. They say that literally they can see the shepherd and cannot figure out how to get to him. They can see him, and they're too dumb to be able to get to him. Now, if he calls them, they can hear his voice, and they'll follow his voice. But just by sight, they have, they're have just incapable of finding their way to where they need to go. It's why Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. It's why Jesus, in one of his most famous sayings, says this, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost? They were very familiar in that day with sheep getting lost. That was just something that happened all the time. And so, again, we are like that as well. The last thing they are is fearful. Do you know a sheep, uh, it, uh, we'll talk about Psalms uh, 23 in a moment, but a sheep is frightened to death of running water. You, you bring them up to a stream or a river, they don't want anything to do with water that's moving. It just scares them to death. They're very skittish and very uh, fearful. Um, do you know what, by the way, the number one command in the Bible is? Do not be afraid. It occurs 70 times in the NIV. Do not be afraid. Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Okay? Now, if you don't take anything else out of this, let me tell you what it is about sheep. They require shepherds. It's not that they just need a shepherd. It's not that it's just nice to have a shepherd. Without a shepherd, they're doomed. Without a shepherd, they're going to get eaten. They absolutely have to have a shepherd. It is the only protection that they have. And by the way, we're the exact same way. We need a shepherd. We need shepherds in this church. We, and, and, and we'll talk about that as we move through. But we need uh, shepherds. So let's, t- let's turn over and talk a little bit about shepherds and what we can learn. Now, the Bible is, as I said earlier, is, is absolutely replete with information about shepherds. It talks about them all the time. And, and if you kind of read the different areas, you, you come up with four characteristics or four responsibilities of a shepherd. And they are these. The shepherd has to provide for the sheep. The shepherd has to guide the sheep. The shepherd has to protect the sheep. And the shepherd is to be accountable for the sheep. Those are the four things or four responsibilities of a uh, shepherd. Now, the Bible gives us some descriptions of both bad shepherds and good shepherds. And we're going to look at both of them. I'm going to start with the bad shepherd. And we're going to use two uh, chapters here, one in the Old Testament, one in the New, uh, Ezekiel 34 and John uh, 10. So let's look at some examples of bad shepherds. In Ezekiel 34, 2 to 4, it says this, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus saith the Lord God, Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not f- shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, and the injured you have not bound up. You see, one of the things a shepherd has to do is provide for the sheep. He has to provide food. He has to provide water. He has to provide a place for them to rest. When they, when they get sick or they get hurt, uh, he has to bind them up. He has to provide healing. When they're, when they're weak, like a nursing ewe that's just given birth, he has to strengthen them and give them time. He has to do all those things, but the bad shepherd doesn't do any of that. The bad shepherd fails at all of those things. Look at verses 4 through 6. It says, The lost you've not sought. And with force and harshness, you've ruled them. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with nobody to search 
or seek for them. You see, the, one of the things, the second thing the shepherd is supposed to do is guide the sheep to nourishment and guide them to safety. But these, these men did not do that. They failed at the second thing they were supposed to do. Verse 5 says this, So they were scattered, and because there was no shepherd, they became food for all the wild beasts. See, the third thing you're supposed to do as a shepherd is protect. Protect from wolves, protect from predators. And they failed to do that. John 10 gives us the fourth thing. Jesus said this, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. You see, the last thing a, a, a shepherd has to be is accountable. He has to take personal responsibility for each and every sheep. That man, did, the hireling, doesn't do that. He leaves because of danger. He leaves because there's a better job. He leaves because there's more money over here. He, he leaves for, for notoriety. He leaves for a lot of reason but he, because he's not accountable to the sheep. Okay, that is a bad shepherd. Now, now that we kind of know what the bad shepherd is, I want to look at some descriptions of a good shepherd. And again, we're going to look at two chapters, one in the Old, one in the New. Psalms 23, which is, of course, one we all know, probably the best explanation or, or description of a shepherd. And then we'll also come back to John 10. Now, before we read Psalm 23, I want you to keep in mind that that psalm is written by David. And David knows pretty much everything there is to know about shepherding. He's not some academic uh, that's just writing about something. No, he, he grew up shepherding sheep, so he knows that. And he also knows how to shepherd people. Look at Psalm 78. It says this, talking about God. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. And with an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. So David is not only an expert at, at, at shepherding sheep, He's also an expert at shepherding people, and he is the one that wrote Psalm 23. So I want to look at those same four things when it comes to shepherds. The first one is this. The good shepherd is personally accountable. The, the good shepherd has a relationship with the sheep. Look at Psalm 23.1. We all know this. We miss it sometimes. Look what David says. The Lord is what? He's my shepherd. He's not their shepherd. He's, he's my shepherd. There's a relationship here that he's talking about. See, David is saying, man, the God of the universe, the God that made everything, that created everything, that God is in control of my life. He's responsible to provide for me. He's responsible to protect me. He's responsible to guide. Remember, as a sheep, we're helpless. And David is saying, God is my shepherd. And because of that, he says, I, I want nothing. I lack nothing. He provides everything. Listen to John 10. These are the words of Jesus in verse 3 and 14. He says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. See, there's a relationship there. It's a, there's an accountability. There's a, there's a personal responsibility that goes with a good shepherd. The, the second thing that the good shepherd does is he provides. David says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. You see, he's talking about spiritual things here. Did everybody get that? David's not interested in eating grass, right? He's saying, he, he, he gives me everything I need to sustain me physically, to sustain my soul, spiritual rest, spiritual food, spiritual water. Jesus said this in John 10, 10 through 11, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The third thing that a good shepherd does is he guides uh, David says in Psalm 20, 23, 3, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. You know, the, the, the good shepherd doesn't do it because the sheep are worthy. The, the good shepherd does it for his own name, for his own reputation, for his own sake. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10, 3 and 4. The sheep hear His voice and He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A good shepherd guides. The last thing that a good shepherd does is he protects. And, I, and I'm hoping I can give you a couple things here maybe that you don't know. There's, these are some beautiful pictures. What we're about to see is some absolutely beautiful pictures of God's uh, protection. The first is in Psalm 23. Four and five, very familiar. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though there is danger all around me from wolves, from bears, from lions, from predators, from robbers, whatever, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This, the rod and the staff, I did a little research on this. The rod was like this really short, heavy club that the shepherd would carry. And it was used as a weapon to fight off robbers or to fight off uh, uh, animals. Okay, it was, That's what it was used for. This is probably what David is talking about in... 1 Samuel 17, when, when David goes to Saul and he says, I'm going to kill that giant. And Saul says, man, you're just a kid. What are you talking about? This is what David said. He said, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I called him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. See, he's not talking about a slingshot. He's talking about that club. I grabbed him and I whopped him over the head and I, and I killed him. So, so this is probably the club that David is talking about, your club, knowing that you're fighting for me. That gives me peace. That, makes, that gives me what I need when going through the shadow of death. And then, of course, there's the staff. And we're all familiar with the, the, the shepherd's crook. Interestingly, this is not used to, for the, it's not about the shepherd resting on it. It's not about, uh, the shepherd hitting anybody over the head with it. It's really, it's its length and the crook that makes the difference. It's actually used to direct the flock. So an example like this right here, if that sheep is up in a bunch of bushes and he's stuck, or maybe he's over there eating something he shouldn't be eating, or maybe he's drifting somewhere, you reach out with that crook and you grab him around the neck and you get him back in line. See, David says, man, that's my comfort, that I, if I start to wander away, my shepherd's going to pull me back. My shepherd's going to get me back in line. 
Because if it was up to me, folks, listen, I've said this a thousand times. If you're left up to your own, you're gone. You are a sheep. You are gone. You are here, and you continue to be here because the shepherd pulls you back, because the shepherd watches over you, because the shepherd guards you. Philip Keller wrote a book. He's actually a shepherd, and he wrote a book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. He said this, The staff, more than any other item, identifies the shepherd as a shepherd. No one in any other profession carries a shepherd's staff. It is uniquely an instrument for the care and management of sheep and only sheep. It's not for cattle. It's not for horses. It's not for hogs. It is designed especially to the needs of sheep. Now, that, uh, that to me, I hope it is to you, that's a beautiful picture of the protection of God. But man, there's an even better one to me in John 10, and that is the sheepfolds. Now, a sheepfold, you heard me use this word earlier, a sheepfold is a pen. Basically, it's a sheep pen. You'll hear it called a sheepfold or a sheep pen. And there were two kinds in ancient times, two types, okay? Um, And they were both constructed, uh, I'll talk about the two types in a minute, but basically they could be different shapes, Um, they could be made out of rock, they could be made out of of branches and things like that, they could be square, they could be circular, but what's interesting about them is they only have one opening. So it's a pen and there's just one opening, one way to go in and one way to go out. Now, I said there's two kinds of sheep pens. The first one was a public one. So villages and cities would have a big sheep pen. And when shepherds came back from the fields at night, they would all, maybe there were seven or eight different shepherds, they would all put their, their flocks in this public sheep pen. And there was a man who would spend the night with those sheep. He was known as the doorkeeper or the gatekeeper. And his job, when the, as, when the shepherds went home, his job was to guard. Remember, there's only one way in and one way out. His, his job is to guard that door uh, during the night, okay? Now, in the morning, the shepherds come back. He, he, let, he said, oh, I know you. You come on in. And the shepherds would walk in and they'd call their sheep. And each sheep knew the sound of their voice. And so the 15 or 20 sheep would come out and they'd follow him out to the countryside. The next shepherd would walk in, he'd call his sheep, they would come out, and they'd go to the countryside. You see, this is what Jesus is talking about in John 10, 1 through 5. He says, Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but tries to climb in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. This is this. That's the public one, okay? So he's saying, I come, the gatekeeper opens the door, I walk in, I call mine. And they come because they know me, okay? But there's another type of sheepfold. And this one is out in the countryside. So sometimes they go out, and they take their sheep out, and maybe it's good weather, like, and they just stay out. Remember that the angel comes on at Bethlehem and, and they are watching their flocks out by night, right? So if the weather's good or maybe they've, they've gone a certain distance away, they would just spend the night out in the countryside, okay? And what they would do is one of two things. They had these uh, little pens built around the countryside. So they'd say, oh, okay, well, let's drive them over there. I know I've got a pen, Sometimes if they found themselves uh, too far away, they would just build one. 
So they would just take a little enclosure and they'd make it out of branches and trees and things like that. But notice they both have one opening. Does everybody see that? There's one way in and there's one way out. Now, out in the countryside, there's no, uh, there's no gatekeeper. There's nobody that you can hire to, to, to watch over the sheep. The shepherd himself has to be responsible to guard the opening, the one and only opening. And by the way, the way he did that is since there's no door, what he would do is he would lay down across the opening. He would actually lay across the opening and sleep. He would actually become uh, the door in and out of the sheet hole, uh, out of the sheepfold. Okay, this is what Jesus is talking about in verses seven and eight. Jesus again said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door." I'm the door. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Man, I just love that. It's so beautiful, man. I'm in the pen, and he's the door. He's the protection. He's the guard. He's the one that's going to let nobody get in without his say-so. Nobody gets into that sheep pen but through him. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the door. Nobody comes in except through me. Now, you see, this example that Christ gives us of the good shepherd, the love, the care, the commitment, the sacrifice, that is exactly what God expects from those given the responsibility and the gift to shepherd his people, the church. Okay? If you are given the gift of shepherding, that's what he expects you to do. He expects you to try your very best to, 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 to do what he does, to guard the sheep, to protect the sheep, to feed the sheep, to nurture the sheep. You see this, by the way, in Scripture, John 21. You remember the story after the resurrection, the, the, the disciples are out fishing. They look up on shore, and there's Jesus cooking breakfast. And they go up to him, and this is what happens. It says, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yeah, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And he said, then feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yeah, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. And finally, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. On that, Peter goes from that beach on that day, and many, many years pass. And he's experienced so much. And there comes a time when he's getting ready to die. He, the Lord's already showed him, your time is short. And he writes a letter. And in this letter, he says this to, to the elders of the churches. He said, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. Feed his sheep. Do it. Shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. Don't do it because you have to do it. Don't do it out of duty. Do it willingly as God would have you. Don't do it for money. Don't do it as a job. Do it eagerly, 
not domineering over those, but being examples to the flock. Man, we're talking about shepherds. Not just the good shepherd, but people that have the gift of shepherding. What does that tell us? Do it willingly. Do it eagerly. Do it as an example. And man, I love that last part. And when the chief shepherd, the arch poiman is the Greek word. When the great shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, we finished up the last few weeks with this same slide. How does this relate to us here at River of Life? When he says that he gave shepherds, there, are, there, there should be people in this church with the gift of shepherding. What does that look like? So let's ask a couple of questions. First of all, what is the gift of shepherding? What did we learn from all that? The, the gift of shepherding is manifested in people who make a long-term commitment to look out for the spiritual welfare of other believers. Listen, People with the gift of shepherding don't cut and run. They don't leave for a better opportunity. They don't leave for more money. They have personal commitment. They have personal accountability to the sheep. It's not a job. It's a calling. And they feel that to the very deepest part of who they are. Someone with the gift of shepherding, what are they responsible for? They have to feed the sheep. They have to strengthen the weak. They have to nurture the hurting. They have to guide. They have to protect. How do we feed? We do it through teaching. Just what we're doing here tonight. We're feeding the sheep. How do you strengthen them? You exhort them. You you encourage them. How do you nurture them when they're weak and they're failing? You show mercy. How do you guide them? You do it through wisdom. You do it through counsel. How do you protect them? You discern. You see the wolves trying to come in the door and you make sure that does not happen. But they are, you are the shepherd, and they are under your care. By the way, if you really look at the gift of shepherding, I don't know how you, don't, how you do it without other gifts. And in other words, a shepherd really has to have, he has to be able to, to teach, for example, or, or maybe have the gift of mercy or the gift of exhortation. Just, just being a shepherd and having a heart of the shepherd you got to have some other things that go alongside with it. One of the things you see in Scripture, for example, if you're an elder in the church, you got to have at least two gifts. you got to have the gift of shepherding. We just read that in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, and you've absolutely got to have the gift of teaching. You see that in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, 9. So if you're going to be an elder, you got to have the gift of shepherding, and you also have to have the gift of teaching, Okay. Now, you may be sitting there tonight asking yourself, somebody on the phone today asked me this question. How do I know if I have the gift of shepherding? I think it's real simple. I really do. If you got the gift of shepherding, then you not only understand the level of commitment that's required, you welcome it. You don't just understand the level of service and love and commitment and sacrifice that it takes to be a shepherd. You embrace it. You embrace it because it's a calling. You understand that to be a true shepherd, it it takes all of those things. So I would say this, if you've got in your heart, and not everybody does, not everybody has the gift of shepherding, but if you've just got this desire in your heart that just wants you to look out for the spiritual welfare of others, then you've got the gift of shepherding. You've got it. I mean, you just, by the way, you don't conjure that up. You don't make that up. You don't get that out of a book. 
That's a gift from God if you have it. Now, by the way, who can have the gift? I see absolutely no restrictions in Scripture on that gift. It's men and women can have it, not just elders. Now, by the way, elders will have the gift of shepherding. But you can certainly have the gift of shepherding without being an elder. In fact, I, I, I would think about this for a moment. How great would it be if every small group leader had a gift of shepherding? How awesome would that be? How, how awesome would it be if, if every youth leader had the gift of shepherding? If every children's worker had the gift of shepherding? And, and they would literally put their arms around those in their group and take personal responsibility for those souls. How awesome would that be? In fact, I, I ran across this incredible, I, I thought I'd point this out to you. I ran across this this week. There's a church in Chicago. It's called Calvary Memorial Church. They got almost 1,400 people in their church. 1,400 souls that need shepherding. They just couldn't do it. You couldn't hire enough pastors, really. You don't have enough money to hire enough pastors that can reasonably shepherd 1,400 people scattered out over a, a geographical area. So here's what they did. They started a shepherding ministry. They sat down with a map on a table and they marked out every address of every person that's in that church. And then they divided it into 25 geographical areas. And then they recruited 25 couples, 25 husband and wife shepherd teams that would take the responsibility to shepherd every single soul in their geographical area. I thought that, that's awesome, right? I mean, those husband and wife's teams accept personal responsibility for every person in their area. They call them, they visit them, they pray for them, they counsel them, they do, they shepherd them. And they say it is, it, their church is just exploding because of that. You see, this is why this gift is so important, folks. Because as we grow, and we will, a few people just can't do it. There's no way. We need the gift of shepherding in our youth. We need a gift of shepherding in our nursery. We need a gift of shepherding uh, all over the place, in our, in our small groups. If you're here, in fact, let me challenge you here tonight. If you lead a small group, you, you've got a, a group of souls in your care. Ask God, God, give me the gift of shepherding. Give me that desire. Give me that want to that will take personal responsibility, that will welcome the commitment to feed, to guide, to protect, to nurture. Let me tell you, when you do that, when that gift begins to explode, let me tell you, a church is truly on the road to true growth and true um, expansion. So I want you and I to pray, pray that God will give that gift of shepherding to many here at River of Life. Because I'm telling you, it will make all the difference uh, in the world. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. As always, we thank you for your incredible, incredible word. Thank you, God, that you've given us uh, so many examples in Scripture of what a good shepherd is supposed to be, what a spiritual leader within your church is supposed to be. And I pray here tonight, I thank you, God, that you have given this gift to some people in this church. I know it. I, I, I know it personally that you've done that. God, I pray that you give more. I pray that others, small group leaders and youth leaders and children's workers and, and, I mean, people who are involved with a group of people, God, I pray, okay, would you give that gift to them? 
God, would you just set their heart on fire? Would you give them an overwhelming desire to look out for the spiritual welfare of those that you've put uh, within their purview? God, would you do that? Only you can do it, God. Only you can give these gifts. And we ask you to do that in God. And we pray, God, that it'll be the right people at the right time and at the right place. And God, you will get the glory for what we're going to see in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.